Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the WILX Sports Blitz podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, one of the best in the business when it comes to covering Michigan athletics, especially Detroit. Of course, it's Tony Paul of the Detroit News. Tony, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me on. I really, really appreciate, like I said uh, just before we started recording, having you on the show and your availability for this. I'm really excited to talk Tigers with you. Uh, the Tigers are 6-6 six and six as of today recording. This is Thursday, April 15th, and this is something I had not seen coming. I personally, I think the last time I remember feeling really, really excited about the Tigers was, hey, they get Joe Nathan. This is years ago. Okay. They've got a closer. They're going to have a full roster set. And then with everything that's happened since, uh, with the passing of Illich, and then you know the team going to a youth movement and rebuilding, I thought it would be uh, years uh, even longer from now until I felt some sort of excitement. And there is so much happening between the improbable wins to rising stars. What is your current takeaway? Uh, I know it's only 12 games into the season, but it has been a heck of a 12 games. Yeah, it has. And, and here's what I told people before the season. You know, they're on year five of their rebuild. Um, I think they should be further along than they are in their rebuild. But going into this season, when people would ask what what to expect, what can you know, how many wins, and is there anything to look forward to? Told them all the same thing. This team's not going to be great. They're going to lose a lot of games. They're not going to contend for the AL Central or the wild card. But what they are going to be is interesting. And if you run a sports franchise and you're not going to be very good, then you want to at least entertain the fans. And that's what they were poised to do this year because they are on the back end of that rebuild. Now, there's still a year, maybe two, depending on how they work out free agency. Um, I was a big advocate for starting the free agent moves this past off season, because I think it takes multiple off seasons of free agent moves to mix in with your nucleus of homegrown talent before you become a legit contender. So I think they missed an opportunity this off season, but the telling people going into the season, there are going to be things to look forward to, namely the pitching Casey Mize, Tariq Skubel, some of these young guys in the bullpen, Eventually, we're going to see Matt Manning. Um, offensively, we might see later in the season, might see Spencer Torkelson, might even see Spencer, you know, or Riley Green. Um, so there was always going to be pieces to look forward to that were that were at least going to be interesting. And I think that separates this team from the last few, which had no redeeming qualities whatsoever the last three years. Um, that said. There have been surprises beyond what I expected. Akil Badu, of course, is taking the town by storm. If he ran for mayor of Detroit tomorrow, he'd win in a landslide. What this kid is doing, never playing a game above a ball, and to you know be doing what he's doing, which is basically four home runs, 11 RBIs, through the first 12 games of the season, has an OPS of 1.342. I mean, it's crazy. It's going to come back down to earth, obviously, but... He's a guy that's interesting. And the comparisons people love to bring up with Akil Badu because he's a Rule 5 draft pick is they love to talk about Chris Shelton and how Chris Shelton took the league by storm early in 2006, and then he flamed out and you never heard from him again. The difference between Akil Badu and Chris Shelton 
Ezekiel Badu can hit, but he can also field. He can also run the bases. He can play defense. He can pinch hit. He can be a defensive replacement. He can do a lot more things. He has more tools than Chris Shelton. So he's one to keep an eye on. Wilson Ramos, I did not expect him to be leading Major League Baseball in home runs. I thought it was a very, you know, flippant signing by them. Didn't think it was much. And he promised that if he got to play every day, he would be a big-time hitter. And he's certainly doing that so far. Jamer Candelario, you're seeing good things from. Robbie Grossman, the walks and the on-base percentage. I mean, the guy has a 194 batting average and a 396 on-base percentage. You know, these are surprises. But um, there are always going to be pieces on this team that are going to be interesting. They were going to hold your attention. So if you're not going to be very good, at least be interesting to the fans. And so far, that's what they're doing. Yeah, there's the clip I've always heard of Colin Cowherd, who always says, you know, if you can't be good, be interesting. And that, that exactly. has been <laughs> the key a, there, a reoccurring theme. You know, I don't know how old you are, but um, for me, early on in my baseball love was um, when I was in my early teens, were the early 1990s Tigers. Okay, it's a perfect example. So these were bad teams because they couldn't pitch. They had ERAs in the sixes and fives. I mean, they're just bad teams from the standings wise. But from a fan's perspective, they were so much fun because they had these loaded offenses. Cecil Fielder, Mickey Tettleton, Rob Deere, Travis Fryman, and for a while, Pete and Gavilia, and Eric Davis, and Dan Gladden, and all these random names that were so much fun to watch offensively. So not a good team, but interesting as heck to watch. And they kept the fans' attention. I, I liken it now a little bit different in that era was they were not close to contending. So they were just putting this offense on the field to sell some tickets, and it worked. Now you're seeing a little bit different in that you're seeing these young guys that are part of the future mixed in with some veterans who are off to nice starts. And, yeah, when, you're, when you've just swept the Houston Astros in Houston – You've caught the fans' attention, and that's a, it's a heck of a start for them, especially coming off you know, the sweep in Cleveland. The fan base is like, well, here we go. The bottom's dropped out already nine games in, and it's over. And then to come back and do what they did in, Cle- in Houston, you know, it reminds me a little bit of early 2006 when the Tigers, when Jim Whelan, first year as manager, and the Tigers played this home series. I think it was against, I can't remember, it might have been the A's, and it was a getaway day game, and they played terrible, and Jim Leland just ripped them and said, if you're going to play terrible and not care and just go through the motions, then you're not going to play for me. And he lit into the clubhouse. This was like seven to ten games into his tenure. All of a sudden, the next game, they take off on this torrid run, and the rest is history. I don't think this is a repeat of 2006. There are a lot of similarities in that you have a lot of these homegrown kids starting to make a name for themselves, and you have a new manager who's very well respected, but there's still several free agent pieces away and still some of their homegrown pieces. But this is the root. We're starting to see the fruits of the labor. The reason we've all been willing to be patient because we were promised these kids were coming. And here they are. And you saw a great start from Casey Mize and you know some other good performances, some good relief performances. You're starting to see a little bit, a glimmer of that future that we've all been promised. And uh, going into Houston, that was a big statement. This team is not winning the division. Don't get me wrong, but that's a big statement from a young team to go into Houston and really dominate that series. 
And there is an interesting kind of uh, flavor to that series as well with the former manager of Houston, A.J. Hinch, and all the controversy around there. He is now with the Tigers. Uh, an interesting hire, uh, if you look at it from just kind of a pure resume and skill standpoint and just experience. It seems to be the, you know, buy low on a very, very, you know, talented and smart manager but there is a lot of baggage there but so far I mean it's not like there's anything crazy going on to Detroit right now and he gets to take a young uh, not maybe up and coming but interesting we'll keep using that word and to, to go to Houston what what was that dynamic that you saw there of the former manager with everything embroiled with that taking this team with uh, Badu's got to be one of the most exciting names in baseball right now and Ramos, like you said, too. I mean, for a guy making $2 million, holy cow. And I I look at it, Houston, I think they have the seventh best odds uh, based on a couple books to win the World Series. I don't think Houston's going to be one of the, the exact best team in MLB, but they're definitely a top-tier organization. Oh, yeah. And look, you know, they, they had the COVID issues yesterday in the final game of the series. If they had all their players available, maybe they win that last game. But still... Tigers dominated that series. That needs to be emphasized. They didn't go in there and accidentally win three games. They dominated that series, pitching-wise and offense. Uh, it got a little dicey in the third game, but you know what? They, they dominated still, if you look at the numbers. So just a really good stepping stone for this team that, again, is not going to contend this year. Let me get that perfectly clear. I know fans are excited about the series, uh, but I think most fans are reasonable enough to realize this team is a year, probably two, uh, if they ever start spending in free agency, which Chris Illich has promised over and over when the time is right. He conveniently hasn't told us when the time is right. Um, so we're left to take him at his word, which there's not a lot of track record with Chris Illich to take him at his word. So we don't know if that's actually going to happen. So that's the key for moving forward. AJ Hinch, look, you say baggage, okay? It's not the Tigers' baggage. Tigers went out and made the absolutely stone-cold nuts correct hire in A.J. Hinch. Okay? Was he involved in controversy? Yes. Did he screw up? Yes. Did the entire organization? Yes. Did he take the fall for everything that happened, even though he probably wasn't the ringleader? Yes, he did. His punishment was a year suspension. He served it. He's more than welcome to return to Major League Baseball. And 10 minutes after the World Series ended, and his suspension was lifted. Al Avila was on the phone with A.J. Hinch, as he should have been. He's the best manager in baseball, from relationships-wise to analytics-wise to in-game management-wise. If you ask 100 baseball executives who the best manager in baseball is, the majority would tell you A.J. Hinch. And the majority would probably tell you A.J. Hinch over the guy that they have as their manager. If all things would be kept in secret. You know, the Tigers went out and, you know, I've heard from a lot of people since they hired A.J. Hinch, oh, they hired the cheater. It's a bad look. No, it's not. The guy served his punishment. He didn't murder anybody. The, it, it's not the Tigers' problem. The Tigers' issue is to get the best manager for an organization that is supposedly on the rise with young talent eventually mixed with free agent talent and that is expected to contend within the next two to three years. A.J. Hinch has been through exactly that plan. 
in Houston, where they lost 100 games, 100 games, 100 games, boom, contender. It's the same path the Tigers hope to take. Now, you could argue whether the Tigers had the brain trust in place to mirror and copy what Houston was able to do. I have my doubts. But you go get the best manager. Great start for your rebuild. However, it only matters if you follow through and put the pieces in place to win. Okay? Great hire, 100% all-star move, best move the Tigers have made in five years is hiring A.J. Hinch. It won't anything if Chris Illich doesn't follow through on his promise to start spending money. And soon, next offseason is a big free agent class, lots of talent, stud shortstops. It has to happen. If he doesn't, if Chris Illich doesn't follow through on his promise, then you've basically hired A.J. Hinch for nothing, and you've blown it. So what Tiger fans can take solace in is that they're hoping, and the Tigers are trying to sell you on this, is that A.J. Hinch is the first big move of many to come. We'll see. But all-star hire, and again, the people that criticize, you know, the, uh, the cheater and I can't believe they got him and it's, it's a bad look, again, it's not the Tigers' issue. Tigers' issue is to go put the best people in place and win, okay? I think it's a little hypocritical of fans to criticize the hire when they're more than willing to let players with very checkered backgrounds get a second and third and fourth chance. Yeah, no, that that is actually something right on the money that I was thinking too, is that, I mean, that, that's been the whole thing. Yeah, Tigers, I mean, look, Miguel Cabrera has done some pretty bad off the field stuff in, you know, in his time as a Tiger. And the Tigers stood with him. Okay. You can argue that the stuff Miguel Cabrera did, um, the incident at the Townsend Hotel, drunken driving down in Florida, you could argue that was worse than what AJ Hinch did. Fans are all too willing to forgive players. And yet, I just, that's why I just think it's a little hypocritical. AJ Hinch served his punishment and the Tigers went out and got the best guy on the market, the best guy possible to lead this organization. I think it was a great hire, but again, only a great hire if you follow through and give him something to work with, which is why I believed that free agent process should have started this past off season. If it doesn't happen this next off season, then Chris Illich is going to have some real explaining to do. Now, you've covered a few interesting topics there. There was something I wanted to pull out. You're talking about, you mentioned, you know, Houston had a, a, a couple, you know, health and, you know, player safety protocols, all that stuff. But, you know, COVID come up and interfere with the roster. This season is set up to go the whole length of it, all 162 games. COVID right now, uh, I mean, we, we can't go like a minute without mentioning COVID in modern society, but it is the, the worst it's been in Michigan and uh, I mean, we're seeing numbers now that are setting records and or matching previous ones. The vaccines are now publicly available. Some teams are getting them. Some players are not getting them. Uh, it's up in the air. Do you think that just kind of going big picture that MLB is actually going to be able to pull this out? Are they going to have to really strongly or almost require vaccines? Because uh, I'd imagine if we're going to keep running to issues where, I mean, in the World Series, you had a player who more or less had COVID and then just stood around for team photos. It, 
that that I can't imagine MLB is going to try to let anything like that happen again. But with the prevalence of it in society, it seems like there's a few curveballs being thrown MLB's way. Yeah. Well, look. Here's the thing. I mean, sports has been a challenge for over a year. Um, ever since well, since it came back last summer, um, you know, we all doubted whether the NBA and NHL would be able to finish. They had their bubbles, but there were people breaking the bubble. And, and baseball, were they going to get in 60 games when, you know, everyone was canceling? It seemed like every other day there were games being canceled. Was college football going to be able to do it? And um, was college basketball going to be able to get through the NCAA tournament? And look, bottom line is we've gotten through all of them, okay? We've gotten through all we got went we got through the NBA and NHL playoffs, we got through the college football playoffs, we got through the NCAA tournament, we got through the World Series last year. So yeah, I think they'll get through it. I mean, I think there's gonna be bumps along the way, and I think there's gonna be a lot of cancellations, and I don't think every team's gonna play 162 games. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of bumps out the way. The, the thing I don't understand is I don't know through the collective bargaining agreement or what. I haven't read the whole thing. Uh, I'm uh, frankly not that interested to read the whole thing. It's very long. <laughs> I have other things to worry about than the baseball collective bargaining agreement. I don't know if baseball can force the t- players to get vaccines. I know they strongly encourage it. I know that's the case with most other leagues. I know the PGA Tour has strongly encouraged the PGA Tour players to get the vaccine, but they're not requiring it. So I don't know. I'm guessing that since no leagues are requiring it, I don't think they can uh, because a vaccine is an individual choice and there are people that have beliefs about vaccines. Um, but man, just my personal opinion, I don't want to get into politics. I don't understand why anybody would be against getting this vaccine uh, if it's 97 percent effective and, you know, it can help alleviate, you know, this disease that we're just sick of. And uh, and I would think that, you know, baseball players and, and, and athletes would be interested to get it and, and to just, you know, to not have the worries and. Uh, you know, you hear that, you know, one of the players, um, was it a Twins player? It might have been Twins. Yeah, I've got uh, the article up. Yeah, yeah. Simmons. Andrelton yeah. Simmons tested positive yeah. after and he, and he being offered the vaccine. And he was against the vaccine, and that stuff doesn't, you know, work. I don't want to get in politics. I get into politics enough on Twitter for anybody who follows me there. <laughs> they get sick of it, and that's fine. Uh, I've done pretty well since November staying out of politics. I've been better. But, um, uh I, I just don't understand in my, just my belief. I don't, you know, if there's a chance and seemingly a very good chance that if the world's, at least the nation's is vaccinated, that this thing, we might finally get past it sometime this year. Um, we're all so sick of it. I don't understand it. I, I just don't get it. And I feel in you know, the Tigers are mostly vaccinated, which is good to hear. Um, you know, a lot of other teams are mostly vaccinated. So, Hopefully, um, you know, the majority will. Um, but, you know, look, in Michigan, if these numbers are going to keep going up like this, I know the governor has been hesitant to pull, to pull, you know, push back some of the restrictions and roll back things. Uh, but you got to believe if these numbers don't improve. Uh, you know, there's going to be less fans allowed at the ballpark. I mean, I just I think that's just natural uh, that, you know, they allow 80, 8,200 or whatever the number is. And um, that number is probably going to be scaled back if these numbers don't increase. I mean, Michigan's ridiculous right now. I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, the number of people on Twitter are talking about how they have COVID in, in Michigan right now. It's insane. I know 30 people that have had it in the last two weeks, myself included. Uh, and it's 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 brutal right now. So, yeah, baseball will get through it. But there's just going to be bumps on the way. And I just think if, if all the players got on board, and all the coaches and everybody, I, I think there'd be, it'd be a much smoother 
transition and a much smoother road uh, to get through the World Series, uh, mostly uninterrupted. But, you know, we'll see. They'll finish. They'll find a way. Um, you know, look, all the sports leagues have. But it's just it'd just be easier, it seems like, if, if everyone was vaccinated. Yeah, I I have to say I'm a little surprised that there's not been, if we're just talking the world of sports, that there's not been really, to my knowledge, a large active public figure who's gone ahead. And I mean, there's not been a LeBron James or a Tom right. Brady or someone who's been the face of it. It's been kind of the older generation like Bill Russell and Kareem. And I saw Magic Johnson got it with a Danny Trejo. And I... Interesting combination there, but they're active in getting it. And I'm, I know I probably maybe a generational thing. You know, it's a lot of young men and the invincibility factor in their minds to an extent, too, maybe. But yeah, it's from a business decision. If take out the politics or your personal decision or the health and safety of your family, from a business decision, I mean, if this is something that can mess up your, your post uh, game or if this is something that you're sick with. And, you know, you're feeling the effects of it for a while. It's going to mess up your stats. It can mess up with your contract. Like, there's so many reasons. Um, I was lucky enough to get the Pfizer vaccine um, and got through both doses. Only thing that happened with me with the second one is just I slept the whole weekend. I I didn't have any other symptoms, so I got very lucky with that. Um, But that seems to be, for the most part, rather common. So, yeah, I'm I'm knocking on wood hoping that that happens. But, yeah. I I I want. I want it for peace of mind. I'm just exhausted. I, and I don't understand. I don't know how anyone else wouldn't be exhausted from this last year. You know, it just seems like peace of mind for me would be enough for anybody to want to do it. Uh, but the younger athletes, you know, look, most of baseball players are getting it. Okay. Um, they're maybe not coming out and talking about it because it's again, as is everything in today's age, it's political, even though it shouldn't be. Um, and current athletes with endorsements and all sorts of stuff. They don't want to get involved for the most part in politics because they know that they make money from people on both sides of the aisle. And so that's why I think you don't see a ton of people coming out and just like being ambassadors. You see a lot of the older guard um, that, that feel the strength to do that, the willingness to do that. But the current, you know, people who make a lot of money in endorsements and just don't want to piss anyone off. And, uh, and so I, most players are getting it, but they're just not being ambassadors for it, I guess. Yeah, and I'm going to have to stop myself now before I get myself too much in trouble <laughs> I know, uh, flying I know, off I know, the handle. I know. <laughs> I know, I've, already, I've already gone too far. I mean, people, but, I mean, people know what I think. So um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah if they're, if they're listening to the Tony Pollock, so they, they know what they're in for. Yeah, they're not, yeah, they're not too surprised. So I was circling back around, I mean, and, and my, my final thought on this will be, uh, if the Tigers, I mean, thankfully they're fully vaccinated, but also, I mean, it's not like this is going to be a lost season for them one way or another. Like, mm-hmm. it, we're, we're all just looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the bullpen has been, so on top of Ramos and Badu, uh, the bullpen has been surprisingly solid from what I've seen so far. The, uh, you know, wins above replacement or win probability by pitcher. Uh, overall, the ERA is maybe not as uh, sexy as you'd like, but so far it's it's checking out solid i mean fulmer and uh soto look very solid and i i think it just is that just a continuation of there's those pieces that you can see as these are finally we have some cornerstones and maybe they won't be the star guy but they will definitely be uh, future winning tigers pitchers oh yeah i mean going into the season the if, if you ask me one area of the team 
I thought would be above average um, with the rest of the league would be the bullpen. I, I like the bullpen. I like Garcia, who had an excellent performance in getting out of that jam in the, in the ninth inning of Wednesday night's win over Houston. But Soto, if you watched him last year, the guy throws, you know, he throws nearly 100 from the left side. He's nasty. I mean, he looks like an Aralis Chapman out there uh, or an Andrew Miller. I mean, he just, he's, he's got nasty stuff. You could, you know, yeah, he, you know, he might not look good in his last outing or whatever, but the guy is a stud. And then you, you throw him with, you know, a guy like uh, Jose Cisnero, who, yes, had a bad outing. Yeah, yeah, last, you know, Wednesday, but also was pitching the third game in a row. The guy's got good stuff. If you watched him last year, you know that. And I like the additions and still do, although Michael Fulmer seems to be moving back into the rotation, at least for the time being, and certainly was phenomenal Wednesday. But I like the idea, if you had the depth in the rotation, to have a Fulmer, to have a Norris in the bullpen, veteran guys who can let it fly, one from the right side, one from the left side. Norris's numbers are not good right now. That's control-based. That's an issue, but I still believe in him as a reliever over a starter. So, yeah, I, I like the arms they have out there, no question. Buck Farmer's not even that. I mean, he's a fine arm um, out there. I mean, yeah, he's a, a rough ERA early on. But um, if you ask me again before the season, if there was one area that I really liked about this team, it was the bullpen. Just crazy to think about, given that they haven't had a good bullpen in a million years. I mean, even when, you know, as cursed as the Tigers' bullpen is, you know, when they get Joe Nathan – the guy who tormented them for all those years of the Twins, and he comes aboard, and their bullpen's still garbage. The man who killed my Tigers fan, uh, or at uh, least geez. took a severe blow to it. I was so excited. I'm like, okay, they, they have Everyone an incredible, yeah. an incredible, now that, I mean, it's a legendary pitching rotation. It's just legendary for everybody else. Exactly. They had an incredible starters. All they needed was a closer, yep. and it just falls apart. Oh, my gosh. No, <laughs> you, you could make the case if the Tigers – if the Tigers had a, a, an excellent bullpen, they win two World Series in the early 2010s. Um, you could make that case very easily, um, and they just they just been so bad for so long. But they got a, they got some arms down there. You know, used to be watching these other teams. You know, the last five, six, seven, eight years, whatever. And you watch these other teams, and one guy after another comes out of the bullpen for like 96, 97, 98, or 100. And it's like everybody in the opposing bullpens, and you look at the Tigers' bullpen, and you're like, how is that not happening here? And now you're starting to see that. You're starting to see these guys throwing 96, 97, 98, Soto and Garcia and Cisnero and you know some other dudes. And, and again, I still believe, you know, it, depending on how, how long Fulmer's in the rotation, I still think he could be a weapon out there. Uh, I still believe in, in, Der- in uh, Daniel Norris out there. But, uh, you know, they got, some, they got some good arms out there, no question about it, you know. Um, I, I thought it would be the strength of this team. And, you know, I kind of still do, um, although, the you know, the, the rotation has been uh, pretty good, especially Boyd and Mize, uh, and the offense has far exceeded expectations. So, uh, but, yeah, they got some good arms out there. Now, closing out the Tigers talk, we mentioned him kind of in passing, but just a little bit closer looking on the magnifying glass, the man of Detroit, you said, I mean, who would be Detroit's next mayor if you wanted now, Akil Badu. Thankfully, his birthday is before the year 2000. Uh, I, I was really scared, like, when I'm hearing this name. I'm like, who is this? Welcome up. I'm like, please don't be 2000 or 
earlier because then I'm, I'm just going to feel really old. But, I mean, it's a 22-year-old player kind of coming out of nowhere with the Rule 5 draft, uh, looked great in the spring, really made its case. And then, you know, a guy who really, his first few games, I mean, not a lock to be really in the rotation or on the main roster. And then he's just looking like Superman out there. I mean, his on-base percentage, his slugging percentage, I think his slugging percentage is over 900, which yeah. is just absolutely insane. And it is, yes, super small sample size, but there's something there. What what do you make of this gener... Is it is it fair to say that he's a generational talent? Well, I don't know about that, but um, here's what I will say. Um, you know, I wasn't down in spring training this year. I miss spring training very much. I hope to be back down there at some point again. So much fun. I wasn't down there, but uh, back, back in Detroit, you know, I got to reading a lot about him from our beat writers, our columnists, the columnists and beat writers at the Free Press and NY, the Athletic. And it was just this hype hype train. Oh, this guy's just killing it spring training. Um, you know, look, the Tigers had every they had every reason to get the media to believe in this guy because look, they took him in the Rule Five draft, and they had to they have to keep him on the roster all season long. The active you know the active major league roster to keep him uh, from the Twins. So I I look at it skeptically during spring training. I just got tired of reading about this guy. Okay, he had a good game today. Okay, he's great. You know, whatever. And then I got talking to Lynn Henning on opening day. And we talked for about an hour. We did a podcast and we talked about everything about the Tigers. A lot of the things we're talking about today. And then we talked about Badu. And Lynn is just not one. You know, look, Lynn's hit hit on some prospects. He's missed on some prospects. But the conviction in his voice talking about this guy was just eye-opening to me. And I'm like, Wow. Lynn's putting his reputation on the line on a guy who's never played a single game above a ball, hasn't played a game in two years at any level, uh, and he believes this strongly. And I'm like, there's got to be something here. And what, what's there and what you're seeing is he's not intimidated by major league pitching or the major league scene. He's got a very compact, good aggressive swing from the left side. He doesn't appear to have many holes down and in or up and out over the plate, as you've seen with some of his opposite field power. And again, the difference between him and Chris Shelton, who famously flamed out after that. And Fuego start in 2006. The difference is that Akil Badu, when he comes back down to earth, and he will, he's not going to have an OPS of 1342, you know, all season, we won't have that at the end of April. But when he comes back down to earth, this is a guy who can run and he has pop and he can play defense. So now here's a guy who adds value to your team. If he's not a starter as a platoon player, as a pinch hitter, as a pinch runner, as a late game defensive replacement. And what is AJ Hinch like from his time in the Astros? He likes versatile players when you can move the chess pieces to best suit your defense or your offense or whatnot in late game situations, in mid game situations. It's about being able to 
not just play chess, but have the pieces to move around the chessboard. And Akil Badu clearly is a guy that even when he comes back on earth, it's going to happen. And it might happen very soon. He's going to bring value because he can do these different things. Is he going to play a hundred games, start a hundred games this year? Probably not. But is he going to have value even if he doesn't? Yes, he will because he can do so many different things. Now that I've seen him and seen his game and seen his swing a little bit, you could see that uh, there's a reason the Tigers took in the Rule 5 draft a guy who's never played above eight ball. They clearly saw the talent there. So then the question from here is, how do you manage a young player on a very friendly contract in baseball? I know NFL and uh NBA, it's always if you hit that star on a really cheap contract, you can then build around them. With MLB, with the, the length of time that players are with organizations and the length of contracts, I'm. how do you think you manage the situation of, I mean, you don't want to give the guy a bag right away, and there's a whole process with this, but at some point, you know, he's worth money. Is that, I'm assuming that's going to be a, a few more years of production before you kind of enter a renegotiation. What do you think the right play to do this, especially with the Tigers, if they're set up to make an investment in the team in a few years, you don't also want to, if he's one of your better players, just have him on a almost a minimum contract. Yeah, look, he's a rookie, and he isn't going to be up for any sort of major contract negotiations for three or four years. So they're going to get a long look at this guy before they even have to worry about that. Um, I mean, I don't even think he'd be a free agent technically for another seven, six, seven years. Yeah, arbitration and everything. Yeah, they'll have incredibly convoluted. Yeah, they'll have that. But for the next couple of years, it's about tendering contracts. So they'll basically pay him what they think that they need to pay him or what he's worth. So that's a long ways off. So they're going to get a real good look at him. Um, I wouldn't expect anything on that front for until at least 2023 if he's still productive at that point. And, you know, look, baseball's a fickle game. There's guys who've had great seasons, 20, 30 home run seasons, and they're gone in a couple of years. You just yeah. just don't know how it's going to shake out. But, um, you know, look, he's a fun story. And, again, it's, you know, he adds that entertainment value to a team that's not going to be very good. It's getting the fans interested. I mean, just yesterday the Tigers unveiled the Akil Badu jerseys on their team store. <laughs> Uh, you know, so clearly they want to cash in right now on the hype train, and, and it's definitely there. But as far as a contract and anything like that, that's that's two, three years down the road before they even have to think about that. That's the beauty of baseball. You know, you can get guys in the early part of their career. You can really uh, you can really exploit their value. Uh, but then on the back end in baseball is where it gets more expensive. It's very expensive. So uh, for the next couple of years, they're in good shape. And, well, I think that's going to wrap it for the Tigers' part. Definitely, I think the big takeaway is might not be that good overall. We'll see. Especially the the run differential right now is just brutal. To me, that definitely shows there's a a moment to come back to earth. But I'm really excited for the team. And, you know, I looked at the Akil Badu jersey. I remember seeing James Edwards tweet out yesterday early afternoon that they still weren't available. And then, like, three hours later, the Tigers said, Here's the jersey. And I, I looked at it. I'm not going to spend that money, but I, I can tell you I looked at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've I never been a jersey guy. I just think they're – first, they don't, I don't look good in jerseys. Uh, and second, um, they're just so expensive. So it's just not for me. But, you know, for, for those who like it, you know, God bless you. 
But, uh, you know, it's cool to have a jersey, but, man, you want to pour down 160 bucks on a guy, you, you want a, a little bit of assurance that he's – I mean, I guess you'll have an assurance that he'll be on the team all this year because he has to be. Uh, but uh, it's you know, a lot of money to spend on a guy you're not quite sure what his future is. I know there's some people who bought Pistons jerseys the last few years, and I'm uh, the most tenured person on the team is now a second to Boya. It's right, just right. crazy. So yeah. I, you definitely get it for that moment in time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so final note here for you, you have a great article up on the Detroit News about Eastern Michigan's new men's basketball coach, and he's got direct ties to mid-Michigan, the Lansing area. A name a few people might remember from the 2000 championship team, Stan Heath, a former MSU assistant from 1996 to 2001, and he has definitely come the long way around and more than paid his dues with you know over uh, 400 combined games with a 209 and 206 record. Uh, I mean, go Hillsdale, Albion, Wayne State, and so on and so forth. It's quite the resume. It's quite the journey. What is EMU getting with Stan? Well, I think I think they got a very good hire. I mean, they got a guy with uh, a, a pretty good pedigree. And, and success uh, everywhere he's been. Um, I mean, this is a guy who took, you know, after Michigan State, he was with Michigan State for five years. He was one of Tom Izzo's first hires after Izzo got the job in 1996, 1995. Um, Stan was one of uh, his first hires, and um, he was a big-time recruiter at Michigan State. He helped lead Michigan State to three Final Fours and the National Championship in 2000. Um the last Big Ten team to win a national championship in 2000, um, which is just incredible to think about. It's just bizarre. But, um, but then he goes on and he gets his first head coaching job at Kent State. I mean, he takes him to takes Kent State to 30 wins in the Elite Eight. Uh, didn't spend much time there after that. Goes to Arkansas, a pretty big-time program, took them to two NCAA tournaments. Then goes to South Florida and, and you know, turned them into a winner again, too. Took them to an NCAA tournament. So, look. I mean, he, the key for Eastern Michigan is they want to get to the NCAA tournament. And uh, Rob Murphy, their previous head coach for 10 seasons, didn't get that done. Um, and uh, they turned to a familiar face. And Sam Heath went to Eastern Michigan. Um, so he's got that in his blood. He's got well, loads of uh, head coaching experience. Uh, he's got good ties in the state as far as recruiting. And if you're Eastern Michigan, I mean, if you ask anybody in college basketball in Michigan, Outside of Michigan and Michigan State, who has the advantage recruiting-wise and the hot, you know, for the hotbed of Michigan basketball, they say that Eastern Michigan has all the advantages outside of Michigan and Michigan State. And uh, so he's, you know, he's got a great arena. Uh, he's got a ton of talent to tap into. Um, so I think it's a good hire for him uh, or for the, for the university. I think it's a good chance for him to, to really um, – kind of revive his college coaching career and maybe create a legacy at Eastern Michigan. I, I would imagine, you know, he's 50, 50 some years old. Uh, so let's see, he's 56. I could imagine he's looking at this as his last stop um, and could, uh, could cement a legacy here. Just, you know, like say like a campy has done at Oakland. Um, and uh, so I think it's a good hire all the way around. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty big name for Eastern Michigan to land. Um, and again, ask anyone. You know, which out of Eastern or Western or Central or Detroit or Oakland, who has the advantages, infrastructure, facilities, recruiting, and they'll say Eastern. So uh, I think it's a great hire all the way around. And I, I expect 
that uh, Eastern, which has the longest um, NCAA tournament drought in Michigan among Division One programs, I would expect them to get there in relatively short order, especially in this day of the transfer portal where you can really reload and restock a roster in a hurry. Yeah, especially with as of yesterday, it just broke yeah. that not not only are these uh, transfer rules that uh, have been around for COVID to let people transfer without penalty, um, that I have really agreed with with COVID and all this uncertainty, but now uh, NCAA D1 players, they're going to get one free transfer without having to sit out, which I think is going to be huge for the game. Now, I don't know about how I overall feel about it within the tradition of basketball, but if you know you, you can see coaches who you know recruit guys to come with them and they can jump ship, I think it it makes sense, especially with just the turnover and coaching and everything else. I think it it is a very interesting development, and we're we're seeing it kind of take hold right now with Michigan State, the number of uh, players transferring out and transferring in, and yeah, if you if you cement a team, well, it's, a, it's it's the same every it's the same everywhere. I mean, you look at any program in the country, and they're dealing with players in and players out. There's good and bad. Um, the bad is, you know, it used to be in college basketball that your goal was to build a program and a culture, right? Um, like uh, Gonzaga is a perfect example, okay? How many programs are going to be able to build like Gonzaga in the coming decade when there's just so much movement player-wise? So that's the thing that I think you kind of lose with this transfer rule. However, you nailed it on the head. The players need – the student-athletes – are getting some of the power back that they've long deserved, right? Um, it was too, it was just way too difficult for players and athletes to change course. Look, sometimes it's just not a fit. So should a player have to be penalized if it's just not a fit? Uh, and you nailed it when you said that coaches can leave, no penalty at all, go to another job, and then players are stuck or players have to sit out a year. So I think it's appropriate that players are starting to, athletes are starting to get some of the power back. It's just going to change the game. I mean, there's over 13, 1400 Division One men's basketball players in the college basketball portal right now. Uh, so it's just it's just crazy. It's like free agency, but you know, there's benefits to it, especially for a guy like Stan Heath at Eastern. You know, you come into a program like that five years ago, it might take you three, four years to really turn things around. Now, I think you could with the transfer portal, and there's going to be guys available. Uh, maybe some from Power 5 programs that just weren't a fit there, you could turn things around pretty quickly, which is why I think that they'll he, he might just get them the NCAAs in the next four or five years, if not sooner. Yeah, that that's something I didn't necessarily think of immediately, too, is just a new coach can come in and more or less have an impact so quickly with that, especially if it's developing the relationships and the area. I, to me, it was also bizarre, too. I mean, you just Google Amani Bates, and it comes up, you know, he's playing with Eastern Michigan, you know, prep and all this, things like that. And, yeah, it, it, it is surprising to me because I would have thought after Michigan State and U of M, it would have been Oakland would be the team that would really have the state by the reins. So I'll be very well, interested they, to see where he goes. They do in that Campy has built a program. Um, and, uh, you know, but if you ask Coach – when you talk about facilities, you talk about the communication center and you talk about the infrastructure they have practice wise and stuff like that. And then the location, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to get in and out of Ypsilanti, uh, you know, for family and friends and going home and whatnot. 
It's a lot easier to get out of Ypsilanti than it is to get out of Rochester or get out of Mount Pleasant or get out of Kalamazoo. You know, you think about that stuff too for, you know, players going home. It's just, it's just easier to get to. And that makes a difference. So there's just a lot going for Eastern Michigan, which is why a lot of people have believed that they should be winning more than they have over the last decade. And, um, Stan Heath is a good hire and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, Tony, I want to thank you for covering everything under the sun when it comes to Tigers and Eastern Michigan. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, can you tell me what you've got on your docket coming up and then where people can check you out? Yeah, I mean, I got, I mean, I cover a lot of different stuff, cover college sports, cover golf. Um, pretty much I, I help out, I do a little bit of everything. I like to say for the people that remember the reference, I like to say in the Shane Halter, the Detroit News, you know, I do a lot of everything, just nothing particularly well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, know, you check me out on Twitter, Tony Paul 1984. I, I've promised people that I, I'm not as politically um, rambunctious on Twitter as I was, say, from November 2016 to November 2020. Uh, I've, I've, I've cooled it a little bit uh, for whatever reason. So, uh, it's a much uh, much more sports-based Twitter, Tony Paul 1984 on Twitter. And check out DetroitNews.com, not just me, but all my colleagues. We have, I think we, I mean, I'm biased, but I think we have the best uh, best sports department of any uh, paper in the state. So check us out there. Tony, again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute blast. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Let's do it again. Again, that was Tony Paul of the Detroit News being very generous with his time. And it was fantastic to talk Tigers with him. Initially, I wanted to do a preseason episode looking at previewing the upcoming 162-game slog for the Tigers. And scheduling-wise, with a couple different things, it didn't work out. But I think with the Tigers in at 6-6 six and six with Akil Badu being absolutely lights out, this is probably maybe the high point of the season. We'll see. But it was a blast chatting with Tony. So please go support him. Check out his work. And if you want to continue to check out our work and see what's up with MidMichigan, the latest in athletics, go to WILX.com. Check out our incredible sports staff, Callan Buddy, Tim Stout, Natalie Kerwin, Fred Human. They're all on the show on a regular basis, so be sure to listen to them. To follow along with the latest things happening, too, you can check out the social media, WILX on Facebook or on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter, now newly verified. Very, very exciting. Second biggest accomplishment in my life after being personally insulted by Tom Izzo. Uh, it, it, he razzed me, and we all laughed, and it was great. But anyways, to follow me on Twitter is at jgustin113, J-G-U-S-T-I-N-113. Follow along there for just a lot of uh, fun musings on the latest happenings in Detroit sports and kind of around the world and what's going on with Samoa Joe. Again, thank you so much for listening to the WILX Sports Blitz podcast, and I'll talk to you next time.